0: Welcome everyone to our weekly NCAA social series dealing with COVID-19. I'm Andy Katz. Pleased to be joined, as I am every week, with Dr. Brian Hayline, the NCAA's chief medical officer. Joni Comstock, the NCAA senior vice president of championships. Linda Teeler, the chair of the Division I Competition Oversight Committee and an executive associate athletic director at the University of Florida. Uh, Joni, I want to start with you. We've heard a lot of talk, obviously, about football and men's and women's basketball being allowed on a voluntary basis to return to campus in the month of June. How close are we to other sports being allowed to get on campus in the summer and start talking about their fall competition?
1: Hi, Andy. Well, yeah, thanks for the question and happy to be here. Um, We feel like, uh, all things considered, that we are really uh, positioned well and beginning to um, have everything take shape uh, with respect to letting the student athletes get underway again. Um, we have a staff, you know, that's uh, I feel very fortunate to work with that we talk about three things all the time. It's the opportunity for our student athletes to play fairly, um, for us to make sure that they we give them a great student athlete experience. And the third piece is that health and safety. So we really feel like clearly this is a new challenge for us, but it's just um, – taking the next steps with, um, with all of the things, whether, whether it's the events, the communication to um, our spectators and our, and, fa- and fans and um, all of the people connected to the events and, and um, also listening and collaborating at a completely different level with, uh, with the sport committees to make sure they have information, whether it's from Dr. Hainline and, and the excellent uh, data and, and direction he's giving us, but, um, but our job is, again, is to provide those sport committees with um, really that information so they can make a decision and, and get us underway. But I think all things considered, again, that we're that we're positioned to, to do that.
0: All right. So, Linda, if you could pick this up, how close are we to a decision with volleyball, men's and women's soccer, field hockey, cross country, um, you know, those other fall sports in terms of allowing them to potentially get on campus? sometime in the next few months?
2: Yeah, so I think we're really close, Andy. So the uh, NSA Council met yesterday and really, but for kind of running out of time, would have um, had the opportunity to vote on uh, allowing voluntary work to begin with all of those other sports. And so um, we'll come back to that fairly quickly, but I think uh, the sentiment is institutions um, have been gearing up to have their faculty, staff, students return at um, sort of the clip that they're comfortable with. I think the um, council and competition oversight committee is sort of that, is opening things back up, let institutions decide um, how they bring students back uh, for those voluntary activities. So I think, you know, we talked about uh, football and men's and women's basketball uh, yesterday, but I think the other sports decisions will be uh, quickly following here. I think it was just a matter of um, kind of managing the agenda and getting through that. But th- th- those will, those
0: will come online fairly quickly. So Dr. Hayline, <laughs> uh we know that oh. the workouts, when they occur, are going to have to be staggered. Um, but now if you introduce a whole nother population of student athletes, um, how will that work for those athletic training facilities to try to manage, oh. you know, sort of short bursts of athletes coming in to work out?
3: Well, I think staggered is really the right word, Andy. And even when everyone comes in at once, so we're putting out a, a, a third guidance document and, and it'll be out next week. And, and so first it's, you know, before you even show up on campus, we're going to be asking the student athletes to do their own self-check. And so you want to make certain that when you do come, that you're doing it in a place that makes sense and that, that, that you've been in a safe place and you've not been highly exposed and, and so on. You aren't coming in with symptoms. And then the whole way that uh, the athletic trainers and the physicians will be working with the athletes from a pre-participation point of view, those, those examinations are going to be set up, but it's going to be different. It's not going to be that everyone arrives at once. It's going to be by appointment and it's gonna, one's going to make certain that you're really honoring social distancing or physical distancing at first. And even as the athletes are coming in for their voluntary workouts in phase one, um, that really doesn't mean that you're doing large group activities. So it's going to be staggered in a way of like five or ten athletes that are be will be doing strength and conditioning at a time. They'll be observing physical distancing. The strength and conditioning coaches will be observing that. So really this first wave or this first phase of activity, it's not only to uh, continue to help assure that there's uh, health and safety in place, but also it's a way for the member school to test out, okay, do we have our facilities really in order and, and are we able to follow our protocols before we even move on to a, a next phase? It's a way of really testing everything out to make certain that we're we're doing the sanitizing right and the self hygiene right. And so uh, that that's how we imagine things starting.
0: Go ahead, Linda.
2: Yeah, and if I could just add, I think um, you know there's a lot of concern on campus about getting this right and doing things safely in a real sense that um, we are really equipped to do that where, you know, you have student athletes that, you know, this is what they do, they train, they, they prepare themselves for competition, and um, we'd rather them do that in our facilities where we have sanitized, we can manage the number of folks working out at a particular time, we can do the temperature checks and the screening and the testing versus where they might be um, training or conditioning on their own in maybe less um, safe environments, so it's, uh, it's not necessarily always about sort of, you know, control. It really is. We feel like these are safe, clean environments. We've worked really hard to get them there. And let's make sure our student athletes can work out and train in an environment that um, we feel good about.
0: I was just going to say, I've heard that from a number of coaches, that they want to get their athletes back on campus, not as a control aspect, but really because, you know, every part of the country is different, how they're handling this, and especially sanitation, masks and all that. Whereas at the university level, we know that it's going to be obviously done in a correct protocol way. Go ahead, Joni.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say that's the other uh, reason that we feel so confident that uh, this is this is going to go well in terms of our championships that will come, obviously, at the toward the end of the fall season. And that's because, you know, we have the advantage that most all of the hosts uh, for the championships that we work with are on our campuses. So, again... Um, By the time we get to the point that um, really with Linda, even uh, after practice, the practice season, and then they're ready for competition during the regular season, there's going to be so much information and um, they're going to be very confident. And by the time we get to NCAA championships and we're taking them around to, again, our various campuses, you know, I think things will be, um, you know, again, we're going to understand pretty well how to how to conduct them. So, um, you know, we feel confident.
0: And I'm going to get to that a little bit here about the championship at the back end of the fall. Uh, Dr. Hainline, the testing aspect, uh, you've stressed this for weeks, months. Um, How confident are you that when these athletes get to campus, uh, the first wave and the second wave, that there will be adequate testing over the course of the summer before we even get to the fall and the rest of the student body? Well, so uh, I'll answer that,
3: Andy, I just want to first go back to one thing that Linda said and amplify that point, um, because there's another population of, of student athletes, those that we may consider higher risk, they have underlying medical conditions. And, and we've had this discussion, does it make sense to bring them on campus or should they stay home? And, and when we do a lot of the analyses, the campus is probably the safest place for them to be. And that their home environments, they, it really is not as safe. So, so just to amplify Linda's great point and taking it one step further. So, getting back to the, the perennial testing question, um, look, I'm, I'm confident that a month from now we're gonna be in a, a much different place. So, even, even recently, um, there, there's been an advance. And so, I'm gonna mention a term that's called bulk batch testing. So, we aren't there right now, but when I donate blood, My blood uh, sample is pooled with the blood samples from a thousand other blood donors and one single test on those thousand blood donors is to test for HIV. If that test comes back negative, we know that all 1000 people who donated blood and were tested at that pool, they're negative for HIV. That's phenomenal. But if it comes back positive, then we say, okay, well, we have to trace this positive. So should we do four uh, batches of 250 or 10 batches of 100? Because we ultimately have to find who that is. Right now, with the PCR test, the diagnostic test for the viral antigen, we can only do maybe four or five tests maximally at a time. But a new technology came out recently uh, that bumped that up to close to 50. If that can be perfected and then we can get to bulk batch testing beyond 50 to 100 or 500 it's a game changer so it's going to mean that our ability to do surveillance screening will be radically enhanced and so that's one thing we we have to pay close attention to the other is that uh, the FDA approved uh, last week and and I may have mentioned this cuz it was right on the cusp but but a new viral antigen uh, point of care test. So rather than looking for the nucleic acid uh, particles and, and, and amplifying that, this is looking at the viral protein. And there was a new point of care test, which means that it's really like being at a, a, a doctor's office. So you, you go in and, and, and you think you have the flu, you take the test and you get the results in, in five or 10 minutes. So that came back and, and originally was 80% positive or uh, 80% sensitive. So, that means that it could potentially miss 20% of people who are in, infectious. But this is the first round of this new viral antigen test and recall Dr. Burks about three weeks ago said, you know, we really should try to get an antigen test. And so, this is out, if that becomes perfected and we can move close to 100% sensitivity, that's a game changer too. So, so long-winded answer short answer is we need to continue to ramp things up but the way things are moving um we are all becoming more confident
0: uh linda masks are there's no uniform national law policy i mean there's a suggestion obviously that masks should be worn in close contact Um, a lot of debate obviously we've had on any kind of physical activity very difficult obviously to run with a mask, we've already seen some professional sports. The German soccer league—they're not wearing them while they're playing, but the people around the perimeter are. Um, how are you handling on the oversight committee for all these sports when different states and schools are yeah. in different states may have different policies for mask wearing for not just the athletes but obviously all the people around them.
2: Yeah, so as it relates to the competition oversight committee and things that that group really um, can manage and control, it will really be around the championships. So, what's happening on campus as it relates to PPE and um, sort of the guidelines they're following, those are really sort of local state uh, guidelines as far as mask wearing and and other precautions. I think the competition oversight committee and the NSA really our focus and our point of control would be around the championships and coming up with some uh, standards, um, some practices there. We haven't gotten that far yet. We have a little bit of time before we have uh, any NCAA fall championships. But I think the reliance um, is for institutions to follow their state, local uh, requirements, campus requirements around how to conduct um, interactions safely and what the current guidance is for them.
0: All right, so I wanna pick up on on the timeline because we're seeing now a national trend. Uh, A lot of universities are putting out new academic calendars. Uh, Notre Dame went as far as to say, we're gonna start two weeks earlier. And it seems like the trend clearly nationally is to end on-campus instruction at Thanksgiving. Some may end the semester then, but uh, others may just do finals online in December. Yet, we've had this many times before, Athletes are alone on campus quite often over holidays, especially in December, before they may go home for the Christmas break. So what are the chances that that may occur on these respective schools, especially with championships? I'll start with you, Joni, and then Linda and then Dr. Hayline on this, that those athletes post-Thanksgiving will still be on campus, still be practicing, still be competing, uh, despite the in-person classes no longer existing for that time period.
1: Sure. So I'll just make a couple of comments, and I'm sure both Brian and, and Linda would like to also chime in here a little bit. So, um, actually, the three of us were together yesterday discussing exactly that, and uh, Dr. Haneline explained to the Oversight Committee that um, we may see this um, increase again with the virus around or after Thanksgiving. So, with respect to the Oversight Committee and their evaluation of what might happen with the fall championships, um, we, we're in very early discussions right now of doing exactly the same thing. Andy, does does it make sense for us to move up the regular season a bit and try to conclude our fall championships um, on or around, or even before, in some cases, um, Thanksgiving? So we have some of them that currently, actually, we're very fortunate that they do have their schedule that will finish uh, that time frame. We have some really key um, championships for us: men's, women's soccer, and women's women's volleyball. That, in fact, are in December. So, um, you know, you're right. They can stay on campus by themselves. But if we put those championships in that situation that um, we're trying to play them into December, I guess there's a possibility, if nothing else, that we might be doing that without spectators. And if we can and and it makes sense, we'd certainly like to have a complete experience for uh, for the student athletes this fall.
2: Linda. And I'll add to that. So it is an early part of this discussion. So we'll be soliciting feedback from conferences and other groups to get a sense of, because we have to strike the right balance between um, regular season conference competition and the value of that competition and what that means for student athletes and the NCAA championship. We saw, you know, when we. Uh, unfortunately had to cancel winter and spring championships. That was significantly impactful for those student athletes. That was a big part of their experience. They felt um, a loss at not being able to participate. So can we do something with these fall championships to avoid a situation where we would have similar loss um, for those student athletes? So we're gonna collect some information, see um, how conferences feel about maybe compressing their regular seasons, look at the structure of the NCAA championships to see what we can do, um, really gather a lot of feedback because um, I'm sure as, you know, we keep having these conversations every day, you know, a little bit more, we try to make the best decision based on the information we have to date. And so um, can we get to a decision point that we feel good about that both honors conference competition and state championship competition and provides a really great experience for student athletes? No, Dr. Halon, look, we know,
0: um, I mean, guess what we, we know what we don't know, which is we don't know for sure exactly when this spike may occur. And we don't know where we'll be in terms of treatment, Uh, close to a vaccine, all those things. So what is it about December 1st, November 30th, November 29th that, you know, seems to be this, this, you know, this, this deadline that you want to conclude by a a championship before then?
3: Well, it's, it, there's, I wish we had an exact date, Andy. It's, uh, so it's sort of based on, on some modeling projections. And, and so one model is that, look, if we open up this country uh, way, way too soon and, and there's a, a new wave of infections, well, that could hit us in August and all of these conversations in the social series are for naught. So um, so we hope that won't happen, right? But the other uh, thought is that th- this virus is, is likely to remain endemic. And and so it's going to be around. And, and until we do have a, a vaccine or, or a highly effective treatment that neutralizes it, um if that's not here in 2021 or even going through the summer of 2021 it's going to uh spike up and down and so one of the predicted spikes would be around when the flu season starts so uh, that is november december so no one can say with certainty that's going to happen but but certainly some of our uh leading infectious disease experts have said well that's a, a, a possible and maybe even probable scenario. so you take that information and, and so that's why some schools like uh, Notre Dame are making the decision to say well you know let's keep our student athletes protected and we' we'll, then they'll go home and and, and and they'll continue to act responsibly but you know there's that question you know it's easier to keep a controlled environment at a university like a small city if you have the surveillance set up there then, then that's fine, but as soon as you really broadly open that up and, and, and people leave that community and then they come back, well, that's when when, when uncertain things can happen. It, regarding championships, regardless, um, I, I think there's, there's going to be a paradigm set up so that those that are competing in the championships and those that are in what we call the inner bubble, so the really essential staff that have very close contact with the athletes, that we would wanna be certain that there is a testing paradigm in place so that, that we aren't having athletes compete against each other who are contagious.
0: You know, Quick sidebar, and I wanna get back to the championships, uh, but the athletes on campus, I mean, I get it for the you know tens of thousands student population, but once you get down to just the athletes on campus in those few weeks in December, um, you know, a lot of schedules are being put forth in men's and women's basketball right now. I mean, how much should they actually plan on playing some games, you know, in that first two-week window before maybe going home for an extended Christmas break, and you know, thorough cleaning can be done, and then coming back in January. But schedules have to be done at least soon for at least those first two weeks after Thanksgiving for some of those other sports that straddle two semesters.
3: Well, that's why we have Linda and Joni to figure that out. It, you no, know, it's fluid. I'm going to uh, leave leave it to to to, to Linda uh, and and Joni. But th- this is these are part of our fluid discussions, Andy. Because you're absolutely right. This is what we have to figure out.
0: Okay. anyone want to comment ahead, on that before? I have a championship question after that. Anyone want to comment on that? Yeah.
2: From a campus perspective, I think the the message is, you know, we we need to go forward. So we need to put together those schedules. We need to plan. Um, that we're going to play those basketball games. You know, there's gymnastics, swimming. There's a lot going on in that time period. Uh, sports that straddle the, the semesters, as you said, they aren't. Those sports, though, typically do not um, observe the break that we're talking about. So they would remain um, on campus, you know, or competing, but sort of in a um, sort of closed environment um, just among their team and the support staff. So I think that the, uh, what schools are doing right now is we're going to plan to play and everyone understands you also need to be nimble. That may change in two weeks time and then we, um, you know, need to schedule in breaks. But um, I think everyone feels like decisions need to be made and let's let's take a step forward, make those, and then just be ready to adjust if necessary.
1: Joni, did you want to chime in or no? Yeah, I, I was just going to actually um, kind of share one of the things that uh, Mark Emmert said last week, and that is that, you know, in total, we're dealing with a half a million student-athletes, and so as much as we don't want something to happen, it's likely to just be when. So as we've all noted, you know, we have great confidence in our campuses. We're going to work together. Um, but I think with respect, to, with as Linda said, with the winter schedules, we may have the disruption for the reason I just said, that it's just simply the numbers. And so I, I think right now we don't want to cut those schedules even shorter, understanding that possibly some of the teams may have to take a week or two off if there is um, an occurrence of a virus uh, on a campus or in with a team.
0: So Joni, I'm curious, um, the championships at the conference level, I know you don't control, but I'm curious what you're hearing from conferences, uh, because not all not every conference has a fall championship for a specific sport uh some conferences you know i know like the west coast conference only has cross country for their conference in terms of fall sport championships what are the chances that that could be a recommendation or a suggestion that to shrink the schedule that you get get rid of the conference championship uh before to to sort of speed up the process before we get to the ncaa championship
1: well, I think um, as we've talked with, uh, with the conferences, and Linda can certainly comment about this as well, but I think the um, the the conferences have been doing a really good job, Andy, just really looking at what actually needs to happen, what's the best way for the student athletes to complete that regular season and determine a conference champion. And in some cases, in fact, they've gone to just saying, hey, it's, it's going to be round robin regular season competition, and we're going to select our AQ. And in other cases, they've really reduced say instead of bringing six to eight or more teams to a soccer championship maybe they're just going to take um the top four or even top two play it off and call it um a, a championship so um you know lots of scheduling changes and um those conference championships are incredibly important so we as NSA staff would never suggest to them that they not conduct them but we will be with them to to help them in every way that we can to see that they they take care of them the way they, they want for their student athletes.
0: And I was always suggesting that if the NCAA championship, for example, volleyball, had to move you know, two weeks earlier, sure. then obviously something would have to give either regular season matches yeah. or the actual championship. I'm sorry, go ahead, Linda. Yeah.
2: No, I, you're exactly right. And so there has to be a give there. And, and I think that's one of the things that the Competition Oversight Committee is really looking to get feedback from the conferences and how they would prefer to manage that because You know, every conference is going to feel differently about their regular season um, conference competition, their conference championship. Um, Some have made those moves around the conference championships as a uh, cost-saving measure. Um, Some have done things around regular season competition, again, as it relates to cost and safety. So um, we're going to land on, uh, from the Competition Oversight Committee standpoint, this is what the NCAA championship needs to look like. And the conferences are really going to have like they do now, all the flexibility to figure out how to get to that end point where they have either identified their automatic qualifier or have um, set up the field so that the sport committees can pick and populate the, the brackets. Um, but the conference is gonna have a huge role to play in that in determining what's best for them um, based on their, their situations or circumstances.
0: You know, I, I want to give you both a chance <laughs> to, to comment on this, uh, and I know none of us on this call can control budgets at all these respective universities and we know that they're feeling immense pressure but obviously we can't be naive sports are getting cut right now and they're at that championship level and it's really disheartening um, if you could just speak to just the value because I've heard it from student athletes coaches of what it means to compete in all these other sports that are seeing their their, their sport you know just wiped away here during this pandemic of of just the importance that you've seen at the, the granular level of the importance of so many of these other sports. If Joni, if you could start on
1: that. Yeah, I would just very quickly comment and again, Linda's on campus and sees it every day. But, you know, I, I think we, with the the stoppage of the winter championships and then nothing in the spring, we've heard from the student athletes and even more, they've expressed the value and that there isn't anything like, and they'll never be able to replace these four or five years that they have on campus to go to school and to have this incredibly um, special experience as a student athlete. And so um, I I think that all student athletes would understand and they respect each other. And whether it's football players understanding the importance for tennis and tennis understanding and supporting baseball or whatever that would be, um, they're all in this together and they understand and and place high value on all the sports. And so, you know, again, we're just trying to work together to make sure that we can maintain that half a million who have the opportunity to, to
2: play. And um, I'll agree with, you know, all of that. I think um, it is tragic in many ways that we're seeing some sport losses. I will say uh, when you read those press releases or you hear from the administrators that are making those calls, none of that is done lightly. Um, those are all sort of end of the line. Worst case scenario, there is really no other way to deal with the budget issues, but, um, you know, we have um, created this system where we are providing really great experiences for student athletes in so many different sports. And anytime um, there's an institution that just simply can't afford to fund that any longer, it is um, it is sad, it is tragic, those student athletes at those institutions really lose a valuable opportunity. Um, but there is a lot, you know, there's a lot of cost involved. and. Everyone is really just trying to figure out how to slice up their particular pie and uh, serve their student body um, and their institution the best that they can um, through student-athletes or through uh, college athletics.
0: All right, so I want to end on a positive note, okay? Quick around the horn, (laughs) positive note. I know you can't predict the future, but your level of optimism as we are discussing this here in mid to late May about having these fall championships, we'll go around the horn, we'll start with you, Joni.
1: Okay, I would just say that um, I'm very, very hopeful, and we always find a way, and we're going to for these student-athletes. Linda? Very optimistic.
0: Dr. Hainline, you get the last word.
3: Well, when when I'm around uh, Joni and Linda, my optimism is just sky high because they're so fantastic. But no, I mean, seriously, the way everyone's working together to get this figured out, um, we're all optimistic. And and like Joni said, we're just going to try to figure out the way. and, and, And we think we can. Dr.
0: Brian Hainline, Joni Comstock, Linda Teeler. We appreciate it. As always, I've said this every week. These are incredibly educational, informational and newsworthy. Here at NCAA.org. Uh, you can go to NCAA.org slash COVID 19 for more information. We appreciate everyone engaging on these conversations as we tackle this pandemic at the NCAA level. Appreciate it. Thanks for watching and stay safe, everyone.